Champions League champions. And we champions are Champions of Europe, baby. And we're back again, Zach. One and this, undefeated this year. This is the Romans Empire pod, ladies and gentlemen. We're Feels all we so do good to be back. Talk a little <laughs> bit of Champions League. But ultimately we talk a lot of shit about Spurs. This is this is one of my favorite podcasts of the year. Why? Because of Champions League, or because of talking shit about Spurs? Well, it's 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 a, or because of my positive. singing. That that yeah. that's the main reason why, right? Because of my singing. I guess. I guess. And and for those who listened to our last episode, um, we finally got our mic situation figured out, so that's nice. Um, Hopefully. But in case you guys didn't notice, there is one voice missing from this podcast. Um, Andres is going to be out today, so we're going back to the OG crew song. Feels like five years ago, four years ago. Yeah, uh, except you got a way worse hamstring than you did four years ago, huh? Are you, you pulled? A, I heard you pulled an Angolo Conte. You're icing your butt cheeks right now. What's going on? I pulled. Yeah, I currently have an ice pack in the sector between, or the sector where my ass cheek and my leg connect. Well, you, um, you must have like heard it doing some like real physical activity, right? Like something very very physical activity uh-huh. i was actually at my bowling league um <laughs> i'm in a bowling league in case nobody knows this yeah dude i went to go throw my first ball and my foot got stuck on the hardwood because i wear these really old shoes so normally bowling shoes have like this material on the bottom so your foot can slide and mine are wore out obviously so it's just rubber and uh yeah my foot got planted into the ground and my body momentum the momentum took my body forward, and I popped my hammy. So call it a Conte, call it a Pulisic, call it what you will. I call it a bum hamstring, and uh, I'm officially handicapped. So I'm, I'm I'm currently enjoying an ice pack on the left butt cheek. I know what I'm getting you for your next uh, next birthday or next holiday, something. I'll get you a new pair of bowling shoes, Zach, <laughs> for your own safety. I need so, to save uh, myself only for the big matches in bowling. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you guys, uh, you guys uh, implement heavy rotation in your lineup, huh? Uh, you know what? I bowled the first two games on it, and I did fine. And um, <laughs> at the end of the second game, there you was did a little uh, break. Dude, it, you did the little of... fingers fingers spinning signal. If for anyone you guys can't see, but I'm doing the sub signal with yeah, my hand. So I'm you threw up talking about my ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I, I'm down to talk about that for the next hour if you want, but uh, we do have other things to discuss. Uh, as I, uh, as my singing in the beginning of the episode indicated, the beginning of our new Champions League campaign, campaign starting off with the win against Zenit St. Petersburg. So quickly, we'll run through the starting lineup: Mendy and goal, a back three of Rudy Christensen and Dave. Uh, and the wingbacks of Marcus Alonso and the return of Reese James. Remember, the red card only affects him in the Premier League. Uh, we saw the return of the Jovicic double pivot. And a front three of Ziyech, Mount, and Lukaku. So, it, overall, the match w- was not our best. We created a couple chances. 
We had a couple big saves from Mendy and uh, Rudiger again on my boy Asmoon, which on that attempt, I was almost say halfway rooting for him to score. But I'm I am more I'm 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 relieved that he didn't. This is a way better outcome. It's a better outcome for me, okay? That's what yeah, I'm saying. If um, we were if we were three or four nil up and you were and you didn't mind if he yeah, scored, that's a different story. But at nil nil, that was kind of scary. I think we were up one nil when that happened, so it would have been the equalizer. Yeah. Um, so I mean, either way, that's a big goal, and I'm glad that didn't happen. To be honest, uh, then, uh, that that uh. What what happened with Mendy? He got kicked in the ch- in the chest oh. pretty much on that, and that was an, an assist yep. by Asmoon almost. I can't, I cannot believe that whoever that that Russian guy was who missed it didn't put it away. Zuba that was messed up. Zuba, yeah, I I, I don't he, know how he didn't he put got, it away. He got studs. Mendy got studs in the chest from literally, and I'm not <laughs> joking. One of the largest men in football. I think he's like six six or six seven, if I'm not mistaken. Oh my gosh, he's a monster. Zuba's six six, dude. He's huge. You ever I'm seen fact checking you? They just yeah. him as a huge ball pass. That's it. Oh my god. Um. Well, I, well, I look it up. Well, I look it up. Yeah. Start off by talking about Lukaku a little bit. I mean. Obviously, his heroics got us the win again. Look, it's two matches back-to-back where we don't necessarily play as well as we would have liked, but we still found ways to win. So um, my main concern with the way, not necessarily the way he played, but just the way our front three played is we didn't get the ball to him enough. Um, You know, throughout the game, only two shots, one on target. Obviously, that was the goal, which wound up being the match winner. Um he only attempted 17 passes, connected 14 of them, so he did what he could when he got the ball. Won all of his aerial duels, three for three. Um, the thing that concerns me mainly, Sam, is I was looking at his touches on the game, and he only had 27 total touches. That number needs to be pumped up to the mid-40s, low-50s, especially if we're playing a team that's going to be playing that low defensive block just like Zenit did. When they pack 10 guys behind the ball, um, our strikers should be getting many, many, many more touches. Now, I know space is pretty limited, um, but Lukaku got, what, 27 touches, and that's considering that Mason Mount and, and Hakeem Ziyech were basically useless in the first half. So I know I'm being kind of harsh on them, but at the same time, I guess 50 might be an exaggeration. I'd like to see the high 30s, low 40s with total touches on the game because if we can get him 10 more touches and that gets him another shot attempt, that's probably another goal at the way with the way he's playing lately. So, you know, I, I hope we get the ball to him more. I, I pled for patience last podcast. I'm going to do the same thing here. I still think it's too early. Again, we had one day of proper training going into the Villa match and then one day of proper training going into this match. So since the international break ended, we've really only had two or three days of training in total. Um, mm-hmm. So I do think the team does need a bit of time. Obviously, two games went by, so I fully expect them to be up to it at Spurs. But, you know, just going back to this whole Lukaku thing, I think the guy just needs more touches. We got to feed the beast. Yeah, and we talked about this last week, too, or last episode a couple of days ago, actually. Um, we had a question about this, and we both, you know, we, we all talked about how 
we need to get him to touch the ball more because it seems like every time he gets it, he does he create he he's able to create something out of nothing. Like I can remember that one attempt where uh you know he was he was uh holding up I forget who it was and then laid it off to his side to Reese James who he, he had to take it on his left foot so it was off target. So you know that that really came out of nowhere and it it's it that's one of the reasons why I'd love to see him get more touches on the ball. One more thing on Lukaku before we kind of move on is I do notice oftentimes that his teammates, specifically in this game, I noticed Mason Mount not looking for that through ball into into space or into green grass. I think that's something that's oftentimes misconceived about Lukaku and what he's able to do. If we they don't realize him, how fast he is. <laughs> exactly. And combined with his strength, his ability to stay balanced while he's holding off a defender while maintaining that high rate of speed, not a lot of forwards could do that. There's a lot of people that out there that we can say, yeah, they're quick. Or, yeah, they're strong, but who has that combination of both? So I think, you know, it, as the season goes on, we're, defi- we're definitely going to see that pass played more. I, I'm thinking of Mason Mount because there were about two or three times in this game where Lukaku could have peeled off. He was peeling off the back shoulder of his defender and kind of snuck into space, and we just refused to play him. Instead, we kind of sprayed it out wide. So I'd say maybe a good way to get him those extra touches would be to take those chances and maybe try to play those balls into him or at least into green grass where he can run onto it, either take it straight to goal or he can hold it up, keep the defender on his hip and bring his other teammates back into play. And I confirm Zuba is 6'6". You're right. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, but um, also shout out to Dave. Like, during that goal, that's the only thing I could scream. Like, the second he passed it, I was like, what a fucking ball. What a fucking ball. Because I just, like, I I, start, I saw a compilation video uh, earlier today of all the times he made these exact same passes throughout his career. He had, like, you, I totally forgot. But do you remember now when, like, Murata was not scoring and then, like, he scored, like, like five of his like six goals were exactly like that from a Dave Cross from the outside. Do you remember you know what I'm talking about? Bro, are you listening? I am. Of course. <laughs> you're looking at your phone. What yeah, did I just no, say? I know. I, I I'm not gonna lie. I did pull up a stat about. What Dave. did I just say? I wasn't paying exactly. attention. I was looking up that stat about Dave. <laughs> okay, let's hear your. Let's hear the stat at least. Well, I, I can't I, I I didn't find it. That's the problem. Currently <laughs> looking for it. Hence me looking at my phone. <laughs> okay. Well, what I was saying anyway. Uh, the listeners, you can answer that question for me. Do you guys remember that? Because I really I I totally forgot about that. And um, you just had a couple with with Diego Costa and Fernando Torres too. It just shows like oh, he's you're been talking doing... about Murata. I was earlier. Yeah, you yeah. missed that. Um, yeah. but then uh. It just it just goes to show like what I was saying is like Dave has been doing that for like four or five generations of strikers. Like he's been doing <laughs> that exact same ball on point from Fernando Torres all the way to now. He's been doing that move. Right I think ball. it should have been put to bed after the Marat after the Maratha era, but Dave is actually a very good crosser of the ball. Yeah. I think I think the difference with him is that he's not necessarily good at crossing it while he's running at speed or playing those 45 degree balls just straight across the face of goal. 
Dave is really good at those deep crosses where he kind of fills in that space where he that he steps into that that little half space yep. actually. Those are the mm-hmm. areas that Manchester City uh, really exploited um, when Pep first came in with David Silva and, and Kevin De Bruyne, where they would fill up the same spots and pretty much play the same balls over the top. But Dave is just Dave has that passed down, man. I, I mean, growing up as a defender, that's what they teach you when you're when you're playing a ball to the far post. You got to kind of stand it up. You got to give your attacker the chance to out jump his man and beat him to the ball. And I, he he did everything right. And the thing is, I mentioned it with Lukaku also, he won all three of his aerial duels. So this is something that we're going to be seeing. I think it's going to be a recurring theme this season, and rightly so. I think it should be. Um, Lukaku's aerial ability combined with the skill we have in terms of crossing the ball, particularly from the wingback positions, and not to mention, you just talked about Dave. It's exciting. Yeah, and the way we're talking right now, you would have thought that it was uh, an amazing performance by Chelsea, but it wasn't all so great. Uh, in no. that first half, we we didn't register register a single shot on target. Um, Mason Mount and Hakeem Ziyech both on the on the wings, uh, they both did not look too good. In particular, Mason Mount, probably his worst match for Chelsea in quite some time. I'm not going to say ever, obviously, but given his his performances, you know, since like. Tuchel has taken over pretty much and even mm-hmm. extending before that as well. Um, he hasn't, he's looked amazing. And I don't know if it's, I mean, because it's not his first game playing with Lukaku, but it seemed like he was trying to change his game too much to uh, like account for Lukaku by playing these balls in that were totally off place. And, I didn't see him really be too aggressive and trying to score goals on his own, right? What 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 did you see? I mean, honestly, Sam, I don't want to dwell too much on Mount just because this is a one-off. We know that. The guy's put together two and a half seasons of nothing but consistent football or football where he's gotten consistently better. Oh, like he didn't but even I... take a single shot the whole game, right? No. Well, well, well here's yeah, the thing. Yeah, it didn't. was a poor night at the office for sure. Now – I do think he's adapting his game a little bit to Lukaku. I do think there's a betting in process where he just kind of he, he has to get used to the spaces that Lukaku takes up, the runs that Lukaku's going to make, player tendencies, and that comes with, you know, playing time, playing time together, obviously. So, I think that's going to come good. Now, I don't mind Mason Mount making or taking some of the passes that he did um, in this game. Granted, a lot of them were misplaced, and a lot of them did wind up going to a white shirt. But the idea is there, and I think that's the bigger thing here. There were a couple interchanges with Lukaku and Mount at the top of the 18 where it didn't necessarily lead to a, a shooting opportunity or it was just a regular part of keeping possession or recycling the ball. But they both have that technical ability to play in those tight spaces. And I think it's just a matter of time before they start to figure it out and find those little divots and creases in, in, in the 18-yard box to take shots. Um, Mason Mount's been really really good for us so far so again i'm not really dwelling too much on his performance um because i know he, he's gonna come good um it, i think he should start on on sunday against tottenham i'm pretty sure every chelsea fan would want him to start against tottenham so i'm fully oh, expecting yeah. him to be you know completely ready for that game and that's a perfect opportunity for him to bounce back to and i think he will yeah i'm not i'm definitely not 
even the slightest worried about the like the performance is not worrying me at all. I think everything you said is right about him getting adjusted um, to playing with Lukaku, and that's just going to come with time. Um, let's talk a little bit about Ziyech. We got a question from uh, Nick, our good friend Nick Lenartson. He uh, shout out to uh, young boys. Shout out to Switzerland. Uh, big dub for them yesterday against uh, to America. Oh yeah, like, what's what's his name? Uh, P Fog. Yeah. Or what's his full name? Yeah. He has, a, he has a long ass name, but I'm glad he just goes C- by P Fog. Yeah, I'm glad he goes yeah. by P Fog because that's a pretty funny name. One and two, it's easier for me to remember. <laughs> um, so Nick asks, "What shall we do with Ziesh?" Ah. <sighs> It's a loaded question, Nick. Um, <laughs> it it well, implies look, that he's been shit. Yeah, <laughs> but in two does, matches, has it, has he really been? I don't know. Listen, I think that's kind of harsh. Again, like I, I said, the Mount criticism was was harsh. I think Ziyech is probably more prone to criticism because we're talking about a player that has. I don't even want to say more experience because now Mason Mount started and won a final. Ziyech didn't. But, and also with with sorry to cut you off, but with Mason yeah. Mount, he's he's done a lot more for us. Like we've seen a lot more good from Mason Mount, yeah, for Chelsea at least than Hakeem Ziyech because he, I think, a, a majority of the matches that he's played in a Chelsea jersey have not been great. Yeah, dating and, to when he, we got him. Exactly, and I think that's the key. Um, when you're comparing Mount and Ziyech, I think Ziyech has had a short. Uh, He's had a longer period of time to technically prove himself, considering that we bought him as an established 26-year-old top European talent. This is a guy who we bought where we thought it was going to be, what, three to five games before he completely beds himself in and just becomes this bona fide starter slash world beater. We thought Timo Werner, Kai, uh, we thought it was going to be Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, and Ziyech running our attack. Um, and obviously two of those didn't necessarily work out for us the way we would have liked. But I think the thing with Ziyech, um, he takes too long to cook himself into a game, to get up to speed, right? To get to the right temperature to start balling. It takes him way too long to get there. Um, and, and in particular, that first half, with physical opposition, we've seen him struggle. I don't think that's any secret to anybody at this point. He is a little lightweight. He does bundle over a, a little easy. Now, I like the way... He, you know, I like his energy levels. Um, I talked about his pressing last match. I thought it was evident in this match as well, his willingness to go win the ball back. But the problem is when he does get the ball, what's he doing with it? It all seems really predictable at the moment. It just seems like he's going to get the ball at the top of the 18 and eventually cut to his left um, and try to make things happen. Or when he picks up the ball at the halfway line, his first option is I need to ping it 45 yards down the pitch as opposed to keeping possession you know, recycling the ball, allowing your team to push up and get all 11 players on, on, you know, the attacking side of the field. It's those small decisions that I think are impacting his game right now. And then you combine that with the pressure. He's coming into a team last season where he should have been a starter, like I said. That team gets completely turned around, fires their manager, wins the Champions League, and now all of a sudden, you're on the outside looking in and not just for any team, the champions of Europe. So I think the pressure might be getting to him a bit. I don't want to speculate too much. I know the talent's there, and I think that's a frustrating thing for a lot of us is because 
you know, if he has 90, if he has, if he plays a 90 minute match, he has 89 minutes where he's not good, but he has one minute where he shows us one moment of brilliance where you're like, okay, he can do this. It's just a matter of putting it together for, you know, a, a, a period of time. And it's unfortunate that after the Super Cup, he got injured because his preseason was awesome. And he took his goal really well in the Super Cup also. Mm-hmm. So That's what I was going to say. Like that, that that moment of brilliance was this preseason. And then when he got hurt, you know, going into that game, we were like, wow, Ziyech is, is on playing fire. an amazing form. Like this guy's going to be on, on our, you know, best 11 on, on day one for sure. And then he got mm-hmm. hurt and then he came back pretty, like pretty soon. But his two matches that he came returned in just didn't look too great. But, um, I mean, logic would tell you that his playing style would go really well with Romelu's because, you know, you, you have that typical flair player, AKA Fabregas. And then you have that complete brute who just annihilates people and annihilates goalkeepers in Lukaku, AKA Diego Costa. You would think it would work, but some, I, I, I know we got to kind of move on, but I do, yeah. um, I have a, I have a question to Nick Lenartson's next question, so you might want to ask that one next. The next oh Nick's okay yeah yeah so uh, here this one's also from Nick Lenartson. When will we see Havertz, Lukaku, and Werner? Now my other question, or or my counter to that question, is when will we see Havertz, Lukaku, and Ziyech? Why would we put Werner in there? Ziyech is a better goal scorer. I think he contributes more when he's in the match. Granted, even if he is playing like shit, we've seen that he could provide the same work rate, work rate that Timo Werner can. He has the ability to play in tight spaces, which is something that he's going to have to do a lot, which Timo doesn't. And he also has that end product that I just mentioned, and that ability to be a complete threat from set pieces, barring what anyone, what anyone thinks. He's one of the best in the world. Mm-hmm. So my counter to that, would be maybe not Havertz, Lukaku, and Werner, but what about Havertz, Lukaku, and Ziyech instead? Okay, I have Havertz, a question. Uh, any, so... any, any combination besides Timo, and it's not that I want him necessarily out of the club, but it's just at the moment, the guy's out of favor. We, 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 we have to come to terms with that. Tuchel's not playing him for a reason. In, in response to your question, to Nick's question, I have another question, okay? Uh-oh. So it's an, a question inception. Do, do you prefer Kai Havertz on the left or on the right? I prefer Kai Havertz on the right. Me too. I think I think the left-footed, like Andre said last week, the left-footed player should be playing off to the right, especially if they're going to be in a quote-unquote narrow front three. Where do you prefer Hakim Ziyech? I mean, he should be playing on the right as well. Now that's where, okay. you, have, that's where you have the issue. And now that's where the Mount. solution is, is. The solution is Timo Werner on the left side. Or you could play Mount, or, or Mount, you could play sure. when he's healthy, or you could play Cho when he's health, or when he's available, which I've already advocated for. But don't you want to? But week. don't you want to see how this looks though? Like I, I really do want to see what it looks like to have Timo Werner and Lukaku out there at the same time. We saw it for five minutes only. Like I came in, I, yeah. when did he come in? Yeah, like I do want to see it, but I don't want to see it in a big game, and and not I, against Tottenham. No, this isn't. Yeah, not against Spurs, but this isn't a knock on Nick. This is just like a general feeling I've been getting from you know the Chelsea Twitter community, and it's that oh god that that should be our front three for some big matches. I don't think that's the right front three for big matches. It now, yeah. If you ask me, should they play against Villa? Yeah, 
Maybe you could try him out against Villa. Why not? But I don't want to see him play against Spurs. I don't want to see that front three against City. Because we're missing our, our arguably our best player in Mason Mount in that front three. One of our best players. It just it doesn't make sense to me. Now, Lukaku and Werner up top together. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Werner did play off of a off of like a big striker when he was at Leipzig and he had a lot of success off of it. But guess what? He didn't hit the ground running here at Chelsea. It's and clearly in his head at this point, and it's not a knock on him or his ability. I would just rather see the other guys in there. Because like I said, even when they're not playing well, they still find ways of scoring. Or three of find ways of contributing. Three of the next four uh three of our next four matches are again are the quote unquote big games. We have Tottenham and then the Villa match which would be his only match or only opportunity probably to to get some to get the start and then we have logic yeah which i think is the right logic and then you have city and then juve after so you know there's gonna be games for him to play and southampton after that brentford after that malmo after that norwich after that newcastle after that malmo again then burnley (laughs) okay we have an easy easy one, two, three, four, five, six, seven matches in a row. That's that's gonna be the experimental. Like we're gonna see Thomas Tuchel pull up with like a lab coat and goggles, and he's just gonna have like his his what do they call Erlenmeyer flasks and shit, and ex- experimenting out on this on the field. Uh, I th- I think we'll see it. Like I'm not not excited to watch that. I I want to see that. I want to see Lukaku and Werner play off of each other and play together. But right now, I just, I just don't have confidence in Timo. And again, I like the guy. I want him to succeed. But at this point in time, there's just... Yeah, it's the, pri- the priority. Completely shot. The priority is Chelsea winning games, number one. Then number mm-hmm. two, instilling some confidence and seeing Timo Werner succeed. Okay? We don't have... We yeah. can't do both at the same time right now. But when we get that seven-road... The seven match span, which with a lot of easy matchups, I think that's when we'll see a lot of them. Um, all right, let's move on. So, question from Ron, aka Bone Daddy Cool, aka Bone Daddy Deluxe, aka Bone Daddy Supreme. He says, Should we be concerned about the way we played? In parentheses, not well. The last two matches, but be excited about the fact that we pulled out two victories. Hashtag Rep Ultras. Uh, what do you think, Zach? I don't think you should be concerned. Like I said, I think we only had about two or three days of proper training between two matches, which is a joke. Um, Players coming back from international duty, Mm -hmm. the ability to not field your strongest 11 because of injuries. I'm talking about N'Golo, I'm talking about Pulisic. Um, Even between rotating players for rest, I'm talking about Kai, I'm talking about Mason Mount. I'm not concerned whatsoever, but I am happy that we did pull these two out. And I think Ron is on to something because I went and I tweeted after the match. Teams with title credentials find ways to win ugly. And that's, and that's exactly what we've been doing. You know, obviously a three nil against, uh, against Villa on paper doesn't tell the story, but if you watch the match, it could have been three, two, it could have been three, two Villa even. Yeah. So, um, it hasn't been pretty, but we're finding ways to win. And I think Lukaku is the missing piece to that puzzle. It's just nice to have somebody up there that can score the one opportunity that we get. Um, so, so, we, yeah, you know, I don't think they were necessarily smashing grab wins, but. 
You love making ex- you love making excuses for everyone, Zach. When we play like shit, oh, the pitch condition, oh, the international break, they're tired, you know, the fans, no, 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 all the, just, the, it's an early game, the match, the fans are, are still waking up, you know. <laughs> it's not an excuse. It's actually, it, it, this this is something that just shouldn't be a concern at this point in the season. You're right, you're it's, right. It, it's too early. All right, let's go on next question. This one is from Prosh cfc shout out to prosh he uh he says is the lack of creativity an issue with personnel or tactics we were very poor uh today in attack so what do you think not necessarily personnel or tactics the boys were just kind of not up to it like what did we really do differently in the second half song we started we started shooting yeah we started started making yeah our chances. energy levels went up. We started winning the battle in the in the middle third, and all of a sudden we were all over Zenit, and all of a sudden they couldn't counter. And yeah, we, we, we kind of smothered them. So I guess to answer his question, not personnel, it's, it is more tactics. I think the first half, you know, I'm sure Tuchel told told them to press, and they didn't. <laughs> and and I think that's the issue. They were able. We, we we had sloppy passes. They were able to counterattack and create opportunities off of those. And in the second half, we just kind of cleaned our act up, which is really all we should be doing against these teams. As long as we cannot, as as long as we don't play loose against you know some of these not so talented teams, then we should be able to win every single one of these matches. There's really no excuse not to. All right, you know, the silver lining in all this is that. We once, you know, even though we didn't play well, we still found a way to win and score regardless, you know, the lack of clear-cut opportunities we had. Uh, but, Zach, what are your predictions for Chelsea in the Champions League? Are we in a position to legitimately defend our reputation as the champions of Europe? Or what do you think will happen? Based on what I saw for PSG today, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That was the only thing you were worried about? The only thing that no, could stop no, us? Look, I think, uh, all bias aside, I fully think that we can make a run at it again. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say we're the favorites. Um, it's hard to say that a team from the Premier League is ever going to be the favorites just because of our scheduling and the way the holidays work out. And These teams always wind up bumped and bruised at the end. But um, And plus, if I said we were the favorites, we definitely won't go on to win it, for sure. The only yeah. way we win Champions League is as an underdog. So right. I'm going to say we have the capability to do it. But at this point, I still don't think we're necessarily the favorites. Bayern looked phenomenal yesterday. Yeah. And uh, so they're probably the favorites right now. I haven't even looked it up. but I mean, you, you'd expect that PSG's front three is going to start clicking at some point, And when they do, God help us all. Um, outside of them, Manchester City might be a – might be a toss-up. Okay, I found I, I found it. Enough. This is from yesterday. Oops. Let me pull it up. So, yeah, favorite PSG, and then City, and then Bayern, and we're fourth. Yeah. Plus 800. I'll take you know, that. I'll, I'll throw take a that. hundo on it. I'll throw a hundo on it. Let's do it. We have a, we have a very good reputation of being underdogs, so... Fuck yeah. We're right above Liverpool and then and United. So United plus fourteen hundred. Wow. 
I mean, yeah. if they lose the young boys like that, that's a bad bet. Um, I wonder. I wonder where Ronaldo. I wonder where they were before Ronaldo signed. Yeah, Europa League probably. <laughs> um, there were favorites right. to go down to the Europa League in the same exactly. season. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, Twitter questions. Ooh, two from Leonard Cohen, huh? Beefy, beefy Twitter questions. <clears throat> wow, this is a whole paragraph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, dear Pod, in an interview with BBC's Tony Bello on the Tony Bello is Angry podcast, Wayne Rooney discusses a cash-strapped Everton's attempt to sell him to Chelsea for £30 million in 2004. Rooney did not then want to leave Everton, his boyhood club, and says, quote, I was heartbroken. Not wanting to move to London and now pissed off, he pushed for a transfer to Manchester United. David Moyes, the then the then Everton manager, told Rooney he would have to, ha- have to hand in a transfer request to trigger a move to United. On an Everton canteen napkin, Rooney wrote, I, Wayne Rooney, request a transfer from Everton Football Club and says, there you go, Moisey. <laughs> Rooney was sold to United in 2004-2005 season for £20 million plus £7 million in contingency, contingency payments. If Rooney had gone to Chelsea, what impact would have would his signing have had? Well, I'd, I'd say, first of all, that United dynasty uh, in the early 2000s might not have happened. It definitely, you know... Oh, they would have found a way. They wouldn't have been as good. But right. They still would have won, but not as many as they did. Prime Sir Alex. Yeah. This is a weird one, because Rooney was actually linked to us not only in 2004, but he was linked to us when um, Jose came back for the second time. Um, I'm pretty well, sure he's been linked to us more than twice, even. But But here's the thing. It's it's crazy to think if he did sign with us, what kind of parallel universe we'd be living in in the first place. But mm-hmm. um, it's interesting. What impact would an, an an English international who's not Chelsea have if he came to the team and became our focal point, quote unquote, of the attack? So like, what are we doing here? Are we taking out Drogba and plugging in Rooney? Because that's like blasphemy. I refuse to do that. And uh, but two thousand four, two thousand five, that was the year that he wrote that he would have come over. That was the first year that Chelsea won the Premier League, uh, and then we won it the following year. And then United won four of the next five with Chelsea winning one in between that and two and uh, two thousand nine ten. Uh, um, so so that probably would have been split up a little bit more evenly between us and them. Um, so it, it might not have changed much because in that span, we still won three of, you know, in, in the next 10 years, but it, that number might have been five or six. Could have been. Could have been. I don't know. I mean, because it's, it's taking away from United and adding to Chelsea. And obviously there's like a lot of other, you know, it's, it's the butterfly effect. If that move didn't happen, it could have triggered another thing that would have been even better, like... You know, so there's no way of knowing. So let's go on to the next Leonard R. Cohen question. This one's a lot shorter, so I don't have to read as much, which is better for all of you. Dear Pod, 
with Borussia Dortmund saying it would take a hundred million pounds or less, or sorry, a hundred million euros or more to let the 18-year-old midfielder Jude Bellingham go, and West Ham saying it would take a hundred million pounds to sell Declan Rice, are these sums realistically obtainable by the selling, reluctant or otherwise, clubs, and if not, what function does quoting a hundred million plus price serve? They are somewhat realistically obtainable based on the ridiculous transfer fees we've seen in the past. But I think the main purpose of slapping a transfer fee that high is basically saying, look, unless we get a stupid offer, don't come talk to us. That's basically the clubs saying, cutting out all the bullshit. So they're not going to be getting those low ball offers of 50, 60 million from, you know, big big clubs but not necessarily the big boys they're really when you slap a transfer fee like this i feel like the, those clubs full, know full and well that it's going to be chelsea man city man united barcelona real, yeah, real Madrid, and barca Bayern munich juventus right. only the big boys are going to be really looking at possibly purchasing a player like that so I know I left some teams out of that list, but you could kind of fill in the rest if you guys are listening. Um, but for these two in particular, Sam, I would say that it is very realistic for Borussia Dortmund to get $100 million for Jude Bellingham. Okay, and Declan Rice, $100 million? Pounds. I no. think that's a bit excessive. <laughs> that That is more West Ham saying, we don't want to sell him right now. That's Yeah, yeah, that that it is what it is. But with Jude Bellingham, I want to go back really quick because I know I said he could sell for $100 million. I'm not saying he'll go for $100 million this summer. But in two or three years, what makes you think that this guy won't be $100 million, if not more? If Erling Holland's already, what, quoted at 175 that's like his market value? Good lord, what is Jude Bellingham worth? I mean, he's the best the English clubs. under the age of 20. Yeah. Yeah. And he had an assist today. I'm pretty sure. You know, he's so cool, man. The guy caught a beer, chugged it, realized he was 18, and spit it out. That was the coolest I thought, thing ever. I thought maybe he realized it was piss and spit it out. Uh, <laughs> I'm not too sure. Because that's what I thought. I thought he caught it, and I was like, damn, bro, don't you know that's piss? And he took a sip of it, and I was like, dude, I hope it's not. All right. Spurs preview. You have PTSD about Spurs matches, huh? <laughs> you have to bring it up every time, huh? Yeah, because yeah. you your your hate for for Spurs was one thing before. And then <laughs> when you went to your only Premier League match, when you went to the bridge and you saw us lose to Tottenham, it it exponentially grew your hate for them. I didn't think it was possible to hate them any more than I did before. They that made trip. it personal. They made it personal. It was personal before, <laughs> but there was just another level. Maybe it's because I had my fiance with me. Yeah, and it ruined your vacation as well. No, it didn't ruin the trip, but 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 right. it did. It did ruin that day, for sure. And the that days day after that, <laughs> you never <sighs> got over it. So right now yeah. they're sitting. Uh, with nine points, uh, let me pull up the table. Sorry, uh, I think they're they in have, seven. There's like a yeah, but, for nine. Did they? Did they? Oh, they lost to 
Crystal, Crystal Palace three 0 Is that in the notes? I don't know, but Shout still, out to Connor yeah. Gallagher. Connor Gallagher, Gallagher bossed them up, so they're coming off a pretty bad loss. Um, and in each of their wins, they only won one nil. So yeah, it's not like convincing wins when they were perfect three and zero. They're not a convincing club, Sam. I mean, what's <laughs> nothing <new>? about them. <laughs> and the wins were against uh, City, Wolves, and Watford. Um, they play Ren on Thursday in France. There's another competition called Europa League, Zach. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's where the... I have. It's a, <laughs> another tournament that we won and Spurs yeah, haven't. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, they, uh, they're they going to have a lot less rest time than us. Um, running through the suspensions and injuries... Tonkanga is going to be out uh, after receiving a, a red against Palace. Uh, Sun Hyun Min and Bergwijn are is going to are they both picked up knocks, but uh, they're expected to be available barring any setbacks. Eric Dyer is also dealing with a thigh injury. His status for uh, Sunday is unknown. Um, and then on our side, Ngolo Conte, um, he was questionable to come back. He didn't play. No, he didn't play. No, on, he didn't. Yeah, he was. He was. He was. There's talk about whether you know they would test it out on Tuesday. They didn't, and so he's. About, I think he's about like seventy five percent chance of playing on Sunday. Um, That's what it sounds like, Pulisic. I know he's out. Pulisic sure, is too. out. Yeah, he's going to miss the next two, like three matches. Uh, but they've now have a Nuno de Espirito Santo uh, at the helm. Uh. You know, formerly the manager of Wolves. Uh, what do we expect to see in terms of how he'll deploy this "quote unquote" new look Spurs side, or are they any? Is there a new look? Are they the same old Spurs? I think um, DNA wise, they're the same old Spurs. Um, but I do actually like the signing of Nuno. I I, I think Nuno's a great manager. I actually really rate him. Actually, I take that back. I rate Nuno, but I don't like the signing for Spurs. Yeah, there we go. Um, I think unlike his Wolverhampton days, um, you know, we've been accustomed to seeing deploy teams playing either, you know, some variation of a 3-4-3 or 3-5-2. We saw him play a little bit of 4-4-2 last season, at, towards the end of last season, just out of necessity. Um, but he came into Spurs, and the first, I think, three out of the four matches were 4-3-3. The other one was a 4-4-2 diamond where Dele Alli would kind of play in the hole behind whoever the strikers were. Actually, in both formations, Dele Alli was playing in like that number 10 role. Um, the other two stalwarts in that team are Oliver Skip and, and uh, Hoiberg, who's uh, Mourinho's boy. Um, don't know too much about Oliver Skip. I mean, he's a relatively unknown commodity, but apparently he's good enough to get into the first team week in and week out. Here's the thing. In their um, in their three wins, um, they weren't very convincing. Um, in their first win against Wolves, Wolves took 26 shots and couldn't beat them, compared to Spurs' 15. So they smash and grab. I don't give a fuck. That's the definition of a smash and grab. Or so it's, it's a definition of Wolves shooting the bed. And only yeah, not scoring not a, a single goal. Grab, because a smash and grab implies that Spurs got one good chance. So this is like, yeah, Wolves shit the bed. Um, Manchester City, they were completely outplayed. 
obviously in possession, obviously with shots and shots on target, they still found a way to squeak that one out. That's a smash and grab. Um, yeah. Against Crystal Palace, they completely shit the bed. Obviously, Tonganga, Wilfred Zaha owns a whole fucking country in Tonganga's head. That's how much real estate this guy has. If you guys watch the match, it's actually hilarious because Reese James pocketed Zaha and Tonganga couldn't do shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Slow as yeah, shit. Obviously, obviously, he's out, but we saw what happens to a team when they go down to 10 men. Um, when we went down to 10 men at Anfield against a very good Liverpool side, and they went down to 10 men against a fairly young, up-and-coming Crystal Palace side. They get smashed 3-0. We walk away 1-1. Still there's, levels, the there's levels to this shit, Zach, okay? Exactly. Levels to this That's shit. That's exactly what I was getting to. <laughs> Shout out, Miklo. Um Yeah, look, I, I pulled up our last five matches against... Tottenham because mm-hmm. I just like to look at the history and our probably our last five aways, three wins, two losses, fairly straightforward. I feel good about this one though. Um, I think we're playing them at the right time in the season when we when Tommy Tuchel still has options and could pick between you know twenty nineteen to twenty legitimate players who could start this game so mm-hmm. the fact that we have options the fact that we're relatively healthy barring N'Golo Conte and Pulisic is a good thing um so talking about the selection we got a, another question from Ron he asked do we keep writing hashtag Jovicic or bring Conte in on Sunday and with uh well we already talked about Conte probably not gonna play um mm-hmm. and then he said and with as well as Marcos and Conte play against the Spuds, do we sit them for Kova or Chile? Marcos Alonso cannot sit against Spurs. No way. That, that's what I he was fuck, say. He fucking hates Spurs as much as you do. He turns into prime Ronaldo when he <laughs> plays against Spurs. He scores every time he plays them. Yeah. Free kick, like po- a poaching striker. Like It, it doesn't yeah. matter. Back that close is- front. I think um, the midfield pivot's tough. If Conte's, if Conte's healthy, you have to start him because Conte's going to be the player that breaks up that Hyungmin Son and Harry Kane interplay, and he could also keep a lid on on Dele Alli, who I, I I don't even know if he's a threat anymore. Let's just be fucking honest. Um, the guy looks more like Jermaine Jones than Dele Alli. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I I think if Conte's healthy, you have to start him. Otherwise, I don't mind a Jovicic pivot. My only concern Not is that Jovicic has played a lot of minutes, man. He played international duty. I know he started for Croatia, and then he played the two matches against Zenit and Villa. Is there enough time for him to recover? I think Maybe. so. Maybe. I don't know. I think I think the more likely scenario, Sam, is that Jorginho, no. if they do start, Jorginho would play the full match, and Kovacic would probably just get an hour. Uh huh. Saul or or Conte, if he's able to make the bench. But my Mm -hmm. point is, if Conte's even able to make the bench, you you better start him and at least get an hour out of him. You know, that way you can you can at least have a base. Maybe we nick a goal or two, and then you know we won't have to worry as much. But it's going to be interesting to see this balancing act, especially considering that Saul's first outing for us wasn't that great. So is he going to come off the bench? Um. Is Tuchel going to throw him into the fire again? I hope not. There's a lot of question marks. But um, from the I outside want... looking in, I think Jovacic is the way to go if we're you know, counting Conte out of this one. 
I want to I want to go back real quick to the Marcus Alonso thing because I know I answered that just like too quickly uh, because last week we talked about how if Ben Chilwell didn't start midweek during Champions League, then we'd start getting nervous. And he didn't. He came in for a 10-minute stint right at the end where he didn't play all too well, but it was just, you know, like how can you blame him? He hasn't played like actual football in months. So um, I, 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 I just, I'm. it sucks that he didn't start that match given we were playing Tottenham next and you need to start Marcus Alonso that match. I think... His situation's interesting because Tuchel actually spoke on it and said, you know, he had the Euros. He obviously didn't play much. He was only training. And then, you know, he stuck with the Euros all the way through the final. And then he went on vacation. And he alluded to some sort of, like, mental fatigue. And from the outside looking in, that's a little concerning. So is it is it, like, chill well, you think? Like, saying, let me take a little bit of time off? No, I don't think it's that. I think it's a little bit of Tuchel saw something he didn't like when Chilwell returned that got his ass seated on the bench. It wasn't the fact that he wasn't playing football or that he was or that he was out of shape. Marcus Alonso wasn't playing football. Um, he just had more time with Tuchel leading into the season, which is an advantage normally, but you know, Chile was our guy last year, let's be honest. Um Yeah. I don't think it's I don't think it's that. I think the more likely scenario is that, you know, he probably ate too many cheeseburgers like Hazard did going into every season. <laughs> Bro, he looked might fine. Be, this might be the type of this might be the type of player that, you know, tends to do that every so often. So I don't think that's the case. I, think, I mean, I you can tell, bro. You can tell. You can look at him and see if he does no, look, no, he no. looks out of shape. I, I, yeah, I mean, he he does look but out of shape. But he doesn't. What? Huh? With you think he looks? You think he looks out of shape? Not like not out of shape. I meant more like out of sorts. Like when he came into the match, obviously well, he came yeah, at a difficult different. time. But like I always talk about the physical fitness and the mental fitness. The mental fitness definitely isn't there. He was no. He, he positionally he was meh. But then again, he played five minutes, so I'm not like stamping my you know opinion on that. It is what it is. I think I think with Tuchel, you got to earn his respect on a training pitch, um, and he obviously is not just going to give you your spot back when you're healthy again. I think that's been clear with Kai Havertz. He hasn't put together really good performances either, and hasn't necessarily earned his spot in you know like our bona fide starting eleven again. You know, it could be a situation where that's the case. But Sam, honestly, if that is the case, let's say let's say Chilwell came in and. You know, Tuchel put him through the paces the first week of training and was like, whoa, all right, you're a little out of shape, buddy. I think that's best case scenario. Yeah, I hope so, too. Because by uh, now he should be back in shape. And we'll find out. I, I, I do genuinely think that I said it I said it on Monday or Sunday, which was my mistake, that he was going to start against Zenit. But I genuinely think that, you know, Chilwell might see a start against Spurs. You think? I think so. I think no so. Way. If Conte if Conte's out, then you might have to start Chilwell just based on fresh legs. Because that midfield's gonna have a little bit of wear and tear in them okay. in the early days of the season too. So 
you might just want fresh legs in there just so, you know, you could guarantee that you'll have a guy out there who's, you know, going to be covering that ground. Not to say Marcus Alonso doesn't, but the guy's played a lot lately. Mm-hmm. I expect Alonso to be tired. I'll be shocked if he starts. But then again, if he does, he's prime CR7. Like, <laughs> he really yeah. is. He is against Spurs, so. Who All right. I mean, so predictions, Zach. What do you think is going to happen? Well, obviously, Marcus Alonso scores a goal. Okay, that's one. Um, we we keep a clean sheet for sure, and I think Lukaku continues his hot run of form and scores a screamer, not just a tap in or a header. It's going to be another one of those, ridiculous. Uh, you know, like like the the second goal he had against Villa type of shots. What am I not? What um, do you think? Two nil. I could already see the uh, Lukaku and Harry Kane narrative from here. I think Lukaku's going to win that battle because he's my fucking boy and he's a monster. Yeah. Um, and there's levels to this shit. He, there's levels to this shit. Shout out Meek Mill again. Uh, I'm going to go 2-1 Chelsea. I don't think we keep another clean sheet because eventually somebody has to score on us. Um, but I don't think we're going to be under too much pressure in this game. I think we should mm-hmm. be able to, to, to dominate possession and hopefully get an early goal or two. Um, because Spurs have been prone to conceding a lot of shots. So we've been well improved in finishing, and we created, what, the second most chances in the league since Tuchel came in. So I'm putting two and two together, and I think Lukaku wins the Harry Kane battle, and we win 2-1. Really? You think that we don't keep a clean sheet? I don't think we keep a clean sheet, but both teams will still try very hard. It was a long-fought battle. Okay, cool. Hard-fought battle. Anyways, um, that does bring us to the end of this episode. Sorry if we bored you guys. Um, We promise Andres will be back next episode. Just put a little peer pressure on him. If you're not following us on Twitter already, make sure you're doing so at Roman's Empire Pod. We've also gotten some email, which has been great. Roman's Empire Pod at gmail.com. Let us know how you became a fan, how you even found our podcast. Um, We love hearing those stories, and we also share them with the show, obviously at your discretion. So, Until Sunday, keep the blue flag flying high.